Welcome to McLean's Culture Podcast, The Thrill, for the week of September 4th. On this week's show, has TV jumped the shark? The CEO of the network FX suggested that we've hit peak TV. That is, there are too many good shows for the great shows to persist. Are we living in a time where there's possibly too much of a good thing? Then, school is in session. We're not joining all those kids who are going back to school this week, though, honestly, we sort of wish we were. Instead, we'll talk about our favorite TV shows and movies about high school, that scary, wild, and creatively fertile world. And finally, this week in dating terms, the phrase Netflix and chill has washed upon our shores. What does it mean, and why does it matter? I'm Adrian. I'm Emma. And I'm Julia. And this is The Thrill. There is simply too much television. That sounds like something your parents would say as you lounge in front of the TV, whiling away your summer vacations with sitcom reruns and meaningless game shows. But the speaker was actually John Landgraf, the CEO of the cable network FX, at the Television Critics Association press tour last month. It was an incendiary statement that made the TV criticism community think hard about the state of television. His argument was that the number of good shows would make it hard for the really great shows to actually shine. So are there too many good shows that the great ones can't survive? Have we reached peak TV? Emma, what are your immediate thoughts on this uh, this brewing controversy? I think if the question is, are we all paralyzed by the amount of choice out there, then yes, we have reached peak TV. I think like we were discussing this yesterday that it's common now when you're at a dinner party or out with friends that someone will say, have you guys seen X show? And everyone else is like, oh, I've been meaning to watch. There are just too many shows. I just can't watch them all. And I think that is kind of unprecedented where there's just so much, not only TV out there, but actual good TV. You know, I was reading um, what some TV critics were saying that maybe even 10, 15 years ago, they could count on one hand the amount of great TV shows on the air right now and that if somebody asked them for a recommendation they had to think hard about more than two or three whereas now you can run out of you know you can like have have so many recommendations or just run out of things to say Um, and so I think that in that sense we have we have reached a new place but I also think um, and Linda Holmes at NPR wrote a really interesting essay about this that it may not be such a bad thing or it may be indicative not of of peak television or a serious problem but rather of the fact that um, like literature there's just way more TV you you never say in literature where books great books fail all the time that there are too many books out there and TV is a newer medium but it just sort of makes sense that as time goes on there's more of it and so more of more of it will fail Right. I mean, there's yeah, there's no question uh, that you know someone who writes about TV as you know as often as he's able to do. Uh, I'm more and more feeling like behind the eight ball. There's just so many. There there are just so many things, and there's new stuff uh, every year. Uh, to give some context, uh, by the end of this year, there's uh, data that was put out uh, alongside this uh, FX announcement uh, of peak TV that there will be uh, there will have been more than 400 original scripted shows across broadcast, cable, and streaming services by the end of by the end of this year. And so that's not including uh, reality TV or sports or news. That's you know that's just original scripted shows, which is you know TV's bread and butter. There's a lot of content that's out there, uh, and so there is that. There is the idea of you know is there just too much that people uh, either A, you know, can't even scratch the surface of it or just say, I don't want to deal with this at all, to be honest. I don't think that there's any problem with having an abundance of 
good quality anything, certainly not TV, because it makes for, uh, I think it makes for a more informed and discerning consumer. And, the, you know, what's wrong with that? Producers have to stay on top of their game to keep people happy because they, they just know more. They just know more because they're presented with better stuff. Uh, a couple of years ago in the U.S., there was like a, a, a craft beer renaissance. And in there were 44 brewery, brewing companies in the 70s and 2,500 in 2013, including 409 craft brewers added to that number just the year before, 2012. And so new... Uh, brewers started to complain that it was difficult to get their beer on tap and in restaurants because there's only so much room um, at the bar and restaurants could be picky. So it increased the variety and competition, which made for better beer because the average beer consumer became more knowledgeable uh, about style and quality. And you couldn't just slap the label of craft uh, on a bottle as coding for like the best quality because consumers wanted to know where their hops were grown or, you know, if the water was filtered in a particular way. So I'm sure some worthy breweries had to fold during this um, saturation of the market. Consumers are exposed to the best quality. It makes them, it turns them into a connoisseur. And then they desire more. I don't think TV is much different than that. I think it might not be good news for the people that make it, but I think it's great news for the people that consume it. Yeah, and sorry, I think that, um, I understand what you're saying, but I don't think that the best quality will always come out on top or that that people making the best quality stuff will succeed because that's what's happening with TV with such an oversaturated market. There's lots of shows. There's just so many shows that some of the, you know, some of the the really good ones don't get that much attention. I Um, agree with that. And I think that that maybe that's a bad thing, like you said, for the people making it, but maybe we just sort of, it's, we're going to have to change our, our expectations about what, being a TV writer or or a creative artist who works in TV means like we don't usually think of a person who makes TV as a starving artist, but right. maybe that will change. Like we do think of novelists, playwrights, as as people who sort of fit the starving artist mold. They can be geniuses and never sort of see a dime from anything they create. I don't think and maybe that's TV's true entering that sort of atmosphere. The reason I don't think that's true is because I think that. Television critics and word of mouth and the internet doesn't let really, really, really excellent things die. I'm sure there's a few uh, um, examples of where that's not true. And maybe, you know, maybe your favorite show gets canceled and that's too bad. But if if it's if something is truly excellent in television specifically, I don't think it's going to fall by the wayside. I really don't. So I I mean, I'm hard pressed to disagree with you on the the idea that more TV does not produce competition. Obviously, you know, the more good TV they're out there, the more everyone wants to get a piece of that pie, the more everyone's going to try to up their game. Uh, I'll come back to why I think that's a problem a little bit later, but I don't know if beer is a perfect analogy. And, and this is why I think there is, I, I, I think we are in a kind of peak TV and I think there is an issue to it beyond, you know, simply the fact that there is a whole bunch of good TV. And that is the fact that a lot of shows take time to get to where they are. So, you know, beer, you have a taste, you sort of know what it's going to taste like every time you open that can. That's not the case with TV shows. A lot of TV shows, especially comedies, uh, they take a full season to figure out what the heck that show is about. I mean, think of all of the great, like, you know, we talk about Parks and Recreation a lot on the show. That's a classic case of a show that wanted to be The Office in, during season one the, expressly. Uh, and then by season two... Mark Brandan. Yeah, Mark, exactly. Mark and then by season two, get, get rid of that guy, change the nature of every character. And that became one of the, the great sitcoms of, you know, the last 10 years. Um, you know, I think that's also the case with dramas. Not necessarily as much, but I think... 
I, I, have, a, I have a strong belief that when, whenever I watch a new sitcom that you have to give it, uh, you know, you have to give it at least a season before you really know what you're getting into. Uh, and when you are in a place where there's so much good stuff, you're, you know, viewers can say, uh, you know, I watched the first two episodes. It wasn't that funny. Uh, I'll watch something else because there is such a it's a buffet out there. Uh, and the problem with that is that then you don't go back to the thing that was never given a chance to launch. Um, you know, I talk about dramas, but Breaking Bad was the same thing. Breaking Bad was a slow starting show. Uh, people didn't really care for it uh, that much. Initially, you know, critics were critics liked it, but you know, viewer, the viewership wasn't there. Netflix really was the thing that that helped it get off the ground and become that critical mass uh, thing that allowed it to breathe, allowed it to continue to live, and allowed it to become one of the great shows of our time. So I, I think that that is the the downside of of the uh, huge amount of TV that we have is that while it's I think a great idea that we are creating a more uh, discerning consumer that we are developing connoisseur. I think that's just not a reality. I mean, like, people are busy; they just want to watch stuff that they want to watch uh, and. If that's not like you know, that's not a great way to get new TV out there. I think that if television starts to reach a pl- like starts to plateau and just becomes good enough, people will ask for better eventually. I I think these things come in cycles. I don't think people are consumers, especially now that they've been been able to experience what truly great TV is like. You're not going to forget. Do you know what I mean? So it might level off, but I don't think it, it'll level level off forever. It's not as, as an extreme conclusion as now all soon all television is, is going to be terrible and all the best things are going to be gone yeah. forever. Right. I'm also kind of unconvinced by the TV critics' argument that really good shows fall through the cracks because I think that in in any yeah, creative industry you'll find that the critic will champion this one little show mm-hmm. or little band that never gets mainstream attention and. Mm-hmm. And, and sometimes that's excellent because that sometimes that is the show that almost fell off the radar but didn't deserve to. And then, you know, word of mouth happens. The, the right. greatest sometimes marketing tool there is. Sometimes it is a really great show or artist, but it's just too niche for mainstream. Yeah. But think really about culture. how many times you've talked with even just your friends about a show, and then the answer is always, oh, I've heard that's great. That's because there's so many voices talking. You know, it's great that criticism is is a more democratized you know area where anyone can say stuff about stuff. But at the end of the day, I think every show has its has its has a strong supporters, whether it's on Twitter or on, you know, like the New York Times or like the New Yorker. It, anywhere in between, I think most shows have someone saying that was a pretty good show and everyone's like okay I'll go check that out I mean I, that's what's the percentage of shows that you say that you'll check out because you've heard is good that it's you've because other things out. vie for our attention in a way that they didn't right. used to right so it keeps the bar mm-hmm. high if you have to get more eyeballs onto something you're going to have to try harder to make sure that that's true when you have a phone in your hand when you watch television as a lot of people do and you turn away and yeah. now you're on the internet then you turn off the te- you don't watch the next episode or or stay on that network or watch the next thing to stream on Netflix you know, because there are more things to vibrate. We didn't yeah. have phones in our hands. I also wonder. <laughs> Fifteen if, years ago, when we watched television. I also wonder if one of the consequences of peak TV or just too so much TV out there, is that personally I do this is sometimes I get overwhelmed by the amount of good choices, and so I start choosing bad shows because I know that I'll, you know, I'll you know get home from get. work and I'll say I want to watch a TV show. I don't want to become obsessed with it. I'm just going to go for something that's probably mediocre. The so length that's of this why, dinner. Yeah, I started yeah. watching The Good Wife. Mm-hmm. I thought it was okay, you know? And every mm-hmm. once in a while, I'll return to it because I know it's not going to leave me, like, wanting more mm-hmm. so badly. And you don't have the time. Yeah. To be fair, The Good Wife's pretty good. Well, I've only seen the first <laughs> few episodes. I'm going to finish this segment with a quote from by Linda Holmes of NPR, 
who wrote that it's a, that modern TV is a scattered system, whereas with books and films, it's a given that commercial success doesn't come to everything that has merit, and that's no scandalous failure of the public, the marketing, or the artist. Peak TV, here we are. It's September. The kids are heading back to school, nervously walking in with their best new clothes. A new year, new books, a new vista of possible crushes. We know this experience to be true because of our own childhoods, but also because of pop culture. TV, movies have all demonstrated this before. So we went back to school ourselves to figure out what our favorite school-themed movies and TV shows were. Okay, my choice is a film made in 2001 that stars Kristen Dunst, Ben Foster, Colin Hanks, and Martin Short. It's called Get Over It. And it's a turn of the millennium teen take on a Shakespeare classic, Midsummer Night's Dream. And it was part of that teen take on the classics that were popular then, like 10 Things I Hate About You and Clueless. Um, but this one received much less commercial success. And I think it was because it was more bizarre and it didn't strike enough mainstream uh, notes. And it's the classic, like, boy loves girl and girl breaks up with boy. And boy is determined to get the girl back with help of a friend who also happens to be a girl who has agreed to uh, help get him into this high school play where his ex-girl and her new boyfriend have roles so he can, like, you know stay close to her winter back and then inevitably leading man falls for the friend instead of the mean ex-girlfriend and curtains happily ever after um but this adaptation is so bizarre it includes uh the leading man's sex educator parents who encourage him to talk about his sexual desires when they bail him out of jail for being caught as a minor in a in a dominatrix sex club raid which his sure. friends his friends took him to to like you know make him feel better about of his course. breakup. Why wouldn't that's the thing? To and do. <laughs> and a truly brilliant hammy turn by Martin Short, who I adore. I adore Martin Short, um, who is like the sort of Christopher Guest waiting for Guffman esque kind of high school drama teacher, who refers to himself as Doctor Desmond Oates, fine arts chair, <laughs> and a glorious finale of their high school play called A Midsummer Night's Rock and Eve. Sure. Which heavily features, <laughs> wait for it, Cisco, yes. he of Thong Song fame. Uh, so it's like this teen movie via Shakespeare, via accidental wash of theater of the absurd, tenuously held together by a series of non sequiturs, and it's just the best. I love it. Do you watch it still? Like, I do, actually. At least once a year. <laughs> I, th- I guess the thing like with these school ones is that you have to like find stuff that doesn't really, like, that reminds you enough of your childhood, but like not so much that you're like, oh, well, that really was a cringe I didn't find it in time. my childhood. I kind right. of found it when I was about 20. Right, right. So, but so like... even though it's like so stuck in time because it's like blue eyeshadow, baby tea crop mm-hmm. tops, couldn't be any more late 90s, to me it's timeless. <laughs> Emma, what's your, uh, what is your timeless recommendation? Game up. Funny story about Cisco. <laughs> They're always funny. I can't wait to go off on a tangent here. I don't know if I've mentioned this before, but my best friend, Stephanie Polarski, was a huge Cisco fan. She doesn't know the names of many celebrities. But she knows uh, that one. But she knows sure. Cisco, one Mr. of the Coe. only celebrities she can recognize. Not even really a celebrity anymore. Hey, now. Um, Thong Song is her favorite song of all time, and she got married two years ago, and for her bachelorette party... Um, unbeknownst to her, I contacted Cisco's manager, oh my God. and I I asked if Cisco would read a, a message that I had written to Stephanie on video, and it would just be a thirty second message saying like "Muzzle Tov on your wedding, I'm so happy for you." And his manager got back to me, and I I'm certain it was the right people. Like I, I know I wasn't you know punked or something, mm-hmm. and said. 
uh, sure, Cisco is is happy to do this. Give us a few weeks. A few weeks go by. I email again. He says, yep, Cisco will have it ready for you by tomorrow. Then they just ghosted. Never heard from them again. So, I mean, it's not like Cisco has a lot of work. So Cisco, if you're listening, (laughs) was he busy? Is that what you're trying to say? Yeah, like why would he? I feel like what probably happened is I wrote this message and the manager okayed it without showing Cisco. And then Cisco was like, no way, I'm doing this or something. Yeah. That's my only street cred. This is the wrong song for me. Nice one. Anyway, my choice of back to school or school themed movie is Mean Girls. Uh, because it came out when I was in, I forget if it was grade 9 or 10, but I thought it was sort of the first, I was used to to seeing teen movies that, I mean, not that Mean Girls is true to life, but I think that it has a very genuine spirit, and it's something that most adolescent girls, at least in North America, go through. Um, becoming friends maybe with popular mean girls wanting to fit in while at the same time knowing that they're turning you into a bitch and I think I experienced that to some degree and I had never seen a teen movie that was fun and included stories about parties and boys and sex but also had an important message so I really appreciated Mean Girls and I'm happy that it stood the test of time and is now such a classic and Considered not just a great teen movie, but a great movie. Uh, so my favorite uh, school-related anything is Freaks and Geeks. Uh, that's that uh, great TV show uh, made in 2000. Uh, has a lot of people that are famous now. You got your James Franco. You got your Seth Rogen, Linda Cardellini, uh, who was a longtime childhood crush as a result. Um, and it was, you know, it was certainly of a place. Like it, you know, it, it uh, though it was made in 2000, it specifically was about growing up in the in the 80s um, in high school. And what was so great about it is that it had all those like really awkward moments that you like re- that really uh, resonate with you. Uh, as someone who you know went through high school and all those those weird moments in between, um, there was one episode I really enjoyed, which was um, I think it's called Moshin and Noshin, and in it you have uh, one of the you have James Franco's character Daniel uh, Desario, uh, and he's this kind of like loquacious rebel kind of leader of the of the freaks portion of the show, um, uh, where the sister Lindsay is is a part of that group and you know you get to see inside his you know home life his home life isn't actually that great and you also see him sort of move toward punk music uh and sort of try to put on punk clothes and put on a punk image and go to punk concerts to sort of try out new identities for himself and he goes to a punk show and he sort of embarrasses himself because he's he's not really a punk and and, and he looks like an idiot and it's a whole thing but that really resonates for me and i think uh especially for you know a podcast about pop culture because you know uh Pop culture can be that kind of identity building thing for you in high school, a time when you really are trying to find, uh, you know, who you are trying to be. And, and pop culture is a great way to do that. You find people who like the same music as you. You find the people that like the same TV shows as you. Um, and, you know, at a time where you don't really know who you are, uh, music, whether it's punk, whether it's for me, it was hip hop. Uh, that's a great way to start figuring out who you are and what you enjoy. And it's also a great way to try things on that you'll never talk about again, like the time I was really into Good Charlotte. Um, so, yeah, listen. It's the sensation that's sweeping our cities. It's become a slogan, a practice, a default mode of today's dating youth. You hear it whispered on the twilight winds of the dusky countryside. Netflix and chill. 
Yeah, it's the latest expression of the modern dating climate, the tempting of one person from another back to their place with an offer of streaming TV and chilling, with the subtext becoming obvious pretty quickly that it's just a thinly veiled invite for some nookie. So Emma, what do you think of Netflix and chill? Is this legit? Well, the first time I heard about it, I thought that it, I didn't realize it was a euphemism literally just for sex. I assumed that it was sort of like you were luring someone over with the promise of watching something on Netflix. And then as you're watching Netflix, you know, you start kissing, whatever, maybe you turn the Netflix off. Maybe it just goes on while you're, while you're uh, getting it on. But now I realize it's just, it means sex. So I wonder, because I'm old now and I'm in a committed relationship where Netflix is on just all the time, like 24 hours a day, I wonder if- Just to escape each other's company, if anything. If when, if when teenage boys invite their girlfriends or in love interests over for Netflix and chill, if any Netflix is actually watched, or rather if they just get right into it. Well, I mean, I don't know why we really have a name for it. This has sort of existed forever. People have people for as long as there has been love have been bringing people to their homes uh, under curious, uh, curious requests. It's like, do you want to come for a drink, or like, do you want to? sit and hang out, you know, before Netflix. I don't know what people did. I guess they just sat. Um, Would you like an espresso? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I don't know. Um, so so I guess what's strange about this only is the fact that this is Netflix and, you know, doesn't need, why does it need to be a name for this? Yeah, I mean, I've been reading a little bit about it, too. And it, totally to Adrian's point, it's just a new way of saying want to come over and watch a movie do you want to go to the drive-in whatever it's been around a long time from julia's day (laughs) okay well ouch um but i think part of what i've been reading about it is so the way that it works is is that uh it's also about people who find each other on tinder and then they say hey do you want to come over for netflix and chill so the first time that they meet and if it is an insinuation to have sex uh, without meeting somebody so be it. That also has kind of existed for a while under the uh, guise of uh, blind dates or just first dates, whether it be in person or online. And I think that there's been a little bit of a moral panic attached to this idea of Netflix and chill. Like, what happened to dating? Mm. You know, what happened to wooing? It's just a movie from your twelve ninety nine per month streaming service, and a girl's just gonna come over and literally just land in your lap. Wow, twelve ninety nine. I don't know. <laughs> I thought it was seven ninety nine. Fine, but but I think that um, and and it was spurred. It seems to have come part of it, part of this moral panic from an article that was released a couple weeks ago by Vanity Fair that talked about Tinder and the dating apocalypse. Right. When moral panic stories kind of come up in the media, they're usually um, the examples that they use are anecdotal and, and a compilation of anecdotes, which is not actually. Uh, data and when you find the right amount of like-minded anecdotes to prove your point it's actually just a confirmation bias so part of Netflix and chill and this dating apocalypse also has under it the subtext of like uh, have we just turned into non-sentimental sex robots part of this moral panic you know it reminded me of the story that existed I think it's like 30 years ago now from Newsweek where they had this cover that had the headline 
um, predicting that a single 40-year-old woman had a better chance of being killed by a terrorist than getting married, <laughs> is what they said. That was It was, like, really Rough popular. Girl. It was quoted in TVs and movies. One of the characters in Sleepless in Seattle quotes that. That's quote-unquote yeah, yeah, statistic yeah. that doesn't exist. And it just became, like, this popular gospel without anything really backing it up because it sounds terrifying. Uh, and then a few years ago, maybe, like, 10 years ago now, they admitted <laughs> that they were wrong because... <laughs> They stated that it was like the middle of a cultural revolution. More women were at work and financially independent and went to college. And they were just trying to predict the future based on what the past had been when all women got married at 20 years old. And it was totally uncharted territory. Similarly, that the way that online dating is uh, uncharted territory. And I don't think Netflix and chill is any different, just like you said, about how people haven't have... Coyly insinuated people come over for a little wink, wink, nudge, one nudge. One on one time. One on one time. And I don't think it's any reason to freak out. Right. I did hear somebody mention or read somebody mention that a great idea for a new app would be if when you're like if when you're on Netflix, you can see who in your surrounding area is watching the same movie. So at least even if the Nookie's no good, at least it's a movie you wanted to that see. That is actually currently in development. I saw it. That actually is actually a very smart idea. Like, I like Breaking Bad. And, that, and you're, you're watching it. Person. I'm watching it. Why don't you come over and watch it together? Um, but I also think that the Netflix and chill phenomenon, if you call it that, is just a sort of reflection of a of like the introversion of our society. You know, certainly there requires some extroversion to Tinder swiping right and then just messaging people, being like, "Hey, do you want to?" You know, it's pretty clear that I want to have sex with you. Uh, that requires some extroversion. But you know, if you look around our culture, it's increasingly um, a popular thing to stay in and not do anything. You know, that's the you know Netflix has become the lure with which we are bringing people into our homes because that's where we all want to be. Well, the internet brings the world to you, and it's right. kind of a faux introversion. It's like a, a social introversion. Right. I wrote about this last year when there were just so many uh, stories about introversion, probably spurred by a, one of those popular TED Talks about you know how society's more introverted. And all of the things were like 22 reasons why you're an introvert and, and people sharing these things were so um, eager to share how much they like to be alone, which in and of itself is runs, you know, contrary right. to the <laughs> idea of introversion. If you have to tell everybody how much you like to be alone, clearly you don't really like to be alone so much. So I think Netflix and chill is kind of an extension of that where yeah. you are sitting at home, but you're not really alone. You want everybody to know that you're watching, you know, Gilmore Girls season one or whatever. We also, I mean, the introversion, I think, is not necessarily a bad thing. I think that often when we say, like, you're an introvert or whatever, it's like, oh, well, that's not a great thing. I think it's fine. I mean, whether you're extrovert, introvert, you do you. Um, but what I think is interesting is the fact that we're seeing more introversion as being cool within our popular culture. You know, it's on TV, like, uh, you know, Tina Fey and 30 Rock is is perceived as like, you know, you laugh at her, but like, it's fine that she's staying in and, and working on her night cheese. Uh, you know, in our in our music, you have Alessia Cara, who's blowing up the summer with that with that song here. And that's just that's a song about how she doesn't want to be at a party. Um, Carly Rae Jepsen's Run Away With Me is uh, is an amazing track. And the like, it's the starter of uh, her new album. And the first line, just uh, one of the first lines is I want to go get out of here. I'm sick of the party party. I'd run away with you. Run away to where? 
to Netflix and chill. That's right. So, you know, I think that's what it is. We're we're seeing introversion in our culture, and so we're expressing, we're seeing it expressed. I think the reason it used to be considered, like, sadder, I suppose, to be an inside, an indoors kind of person is because there was no opportunity to be social while you were inside, and now there obviously is. So it's not really considered being antisocial explicitly in the way that it once did, so it's considered more cool. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Well, I'm. I want to take back Netflix and chill. That's that's for anyone to do. I'm gonna Netflix and chill just by myself. Just gonna hang, gonna watch some Netflix. Well, we know what Adrian's doing this long weekend. Out by myself. Well, that's it for this week. Check out the thrill as always at McLean's.ca and subscribe on iTunes, Stitcher, and Beyond Pod. It'd be so great and helpful to us if you wrote us a review or a comment on iTunes. You can also tell us your thoughts about what we talked about with a comment on the site. If you like this, make sure to check out our politics podcast on the Hill or our books podcast, The Bibliopod. You can also hear some of our columnists, like our very own Emma Title, read their work at McLean's Voices. Those podcasts are on iTunes and Stitcher. Our theme song is by Young Clancy. You can follow Emma on Twitter at Emma Rose Title. You can follow Julia at Julia Del J. And me at Adrian K. Lee. Thanks for listening. We'll talk to you soon.